Good morning. My name is Kyle, and I'm one of the pastors here. And the ongoing cry of the church is that Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. This is the hope of the people of God. The Christian hope is that God will come again in the flesh, and we are waiting expectantly for that promise to be delivered on. We are waiting for the promise of Revelation 21.3 to come to fruition, that God's dwelling place is now amongst humanity, and he will dwell with them, and, this, and they will be his people, and God himself will be their God. So we are a future people, a people set who have set their hopes on the future. And so Advent, this is the first Sunday in Advent, Advent is a time where the church has historically cultivated this disposition of hope. And we're going to do that throughout this season by looking at what is called the theophanies or theophanies in the Old Testament. Now that's just a fancy word for times in the Old Testament when God appears in human form to people. And, and these appearances uh, in, in the Old Testament, when God comes and he appears in human form, these appearances were meant to anticipate and prepare people for God's coming in the flesh. And so as we, as we anticipate and prepare ourselves for God's coming in the flesh again, finally, we're going to look at these theophanies. And the theophany that we're going to look at first is, is here in Genesis 32. So if you have a Bible, take it and turn there. And um, as you do, I want to pray for us. Lord, it's a mysterious and ominous story, and it's your word, and we ask that you would come have your way with us. We ask reverently and somewhat trepidatiously that you would come have your way with us like you had your way with Jacob. We ask these things for Christ's sake. Amen. Well, here's where we're going this morning. Here's how we're going to take this story. We're going to look at the context. We're going to look at the contest. And we're going to look at the conquest. The context, the contest, and the conquest. And I didn't come up with these titles. They're right there in the Hebrew. Okay? Just kidding. So the context. I'm, I'm like, I'm so good at jokes. My jokes have gotten better on my two weeks off, haven't they? Yes, I see many people shaking your heads, but you're shaking your head the wrong way. The context, let me set the scene. Uh, Jacob is returning home. He's been gone for some 20 years, and he left under very precarious circumstances. You see, he colluded with his mother and lied to his father so he could steal the birthright, and the blessing from his brother. And in that day and time, a birthright and a blessing were no small matter. In fact, his older brother Esau vowed to kill him. And so Jacob ran. And he's been running ever since. For 20 years, Jacob has been on the run. But now, he's returning home. 
He's returning home. And then earlier in the chapter, we find that Jacob's servants come to him and he hears that Esau, his older brother, is coming and he's coming to meet him with 400 men. Now, Jacob, he, he, didn't take, he didn't take those words lightly. In fact, verse 7 says that he was, quote, greatly afraid and distressed. So he gets his family, and he gets all his stuff, and he gets his servants, and he sends them across the ford of the Jabbok River. But he waits behind. He waits behind alone. Alone with nothing but himself. To wrestle with himself. With who he has been and what he has become. There was a 16th century poet and mystic named St. John of the Cross. St. John of the Cross wrote a very famous poem, and it is about the soul's ascent into the bliss of God's presence. But the poem does not start in the bliss of God's presence. The poem starts in darkness and alone. In an obscure night, Fevered with love's anxiety, O hapless, happy plight, I went, none seeing me, forth from my house, where all things quiet be. St. John of the Cross did not name that poem, but others have named it since. It's called The Dark Night of the Soul. This is Jacob's Dark Night of the Soul. Can you relate to Jacob? Are you maybe in here this morning experiencing a dark night of the soul? Confused? Questioning? Not knowing which way is up and which way is down? Not knowing how to shake your head in Kyle's jokes? Are you in here experiencing a dark night of the soul? Can you relate to Jacob? Can you relate to Jacob? Are you wrestling? Maybe you've been wrestling your whole life. Jacob's been wrestling his whole life. You know, when he was born, Genesis 25 says that he was grasping onto his elder brother's heel. He was a twin. And from that day forth, Jacob's life has been a struggle. He wrestled the birthright and the blessing out of his brother's possession from his father. And then he goes off and he meets his father-in-law, Laban. And from Laban, he wrestles two daughters and a whole host of riches. Jacob's whole life has been seeking to posture himself and outmaneuver and strategically plan so that he can get ahead and put himself over, and gain an advantage over everyone and everything that has ever gotten in his way. He has been wrestling his entire life. Is that you? Is your life marked by wrestling, by struggle, by constantly strategizing and posturing and outmaneuvering? Some of you not even to get ahead, but just to keep your head above water. 
Jacob has been wrestling his entire life, but he has never faced anything like he faced that fretful night at the ford of the Jabbok. Which brings us to the contest. Verse 24 says that a man wrestled with Jacob until the breaking of the day. Who is this mysterious figure? He gives Jacob no name when he asks for his name in verse 29, and he won't let himself be seen in the light of day. Verse 26, the man says to Jacob, let me go for day has broken. Who is this man? This mysterious man who comes out of nowhere, who won't give his name, who who won't be seen in the day, who disappears out of nowhere, and has the power to overturn Jacob with a touch. Who is this man? Well, Hebrew scholar Robert Alter, very fine Hebrew scholar, the University of California, Berkeley, says that this is Jacob's alter ego. Jacob is wrestling with himself and his inner demons. Jewish tradition has said that Jacob is wrestling with an angel. Hosea says that. Some say that he is wrestling with Esau's guardian angel. You know, I bet Jacob thought that he was actually wrestling with Esau at first. His brother come to make good on that promise to kill him. He snuck around his family and over the fort of the Jabbok, that burly brother, that hunting brother, who had now hunted Jacob and grabbed him. But who did Jacob think it was? Well, look at verse 30. Jacob names the place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face. I have seen God. Jacob believes he is wrestling with Israel's God which is his God. Can you relate to Jacob? I knew a girl who grew up in Hong Kong. She was the daughter of a diplomat, and she had everything at her disposal. She received the best education in the world. From there in Hong Kong, she went on to go to Harvard. Harvard, she met her husband, uh, and uh, fell in love, uh, a, a Christian man, and, uh, and they, from Harvard, went on to Cambridge. That's where I met them. And at Cambridge, he went to study theology, and she went to study psychology. Uh, she sat down with her supervisor in the first meeting that they had, or one of those first meetings, and, and he sat as uh, patiently listening her, uh, asking her, well, what would you like to study? And, and as she explained, you know, I'm really interested in the emotional life. I'm interested in people's emotions, and especially their emotions in a religious context. I'm particularly interested in the emotion of anger. And why people are angry at God, and how they become angry at God, and how long it lasts, and is there any resolution to it? And after the professor had sat there listening to her patiently, he very perceptively just asked one simple question. How long have you been angry at God? And she could relate to Jacob. Can you relate to Jacob? 
God, why are you letting this happen? God, why did you give me this job and this spouse and these kids, this body? God, why these circumstances and where are you and where is the blessing and why, why aren't your promises coming true? And how come life is just so hard when I've tried to follow you? Can you relate to Jacob? Do you know what it's like to wrestle with God? You, you know, Jacob didn't even know he was who he was wrestling with through the night. That's why when it's the breaking of the day, he asks, what is your name? See, he doesn't even know who he's wrestling with until it's all resolved. Maybe that's some of you. You got up this morning and you were just angry. You snapped at the dog. You snapped at your kids. You snapped at the person who, who, who went ahead of their turn or they waited too long at the stop sign. You know what I'm talking about. Just go! And you're just angry. And you don't know why. You're wrestling, but you don't know who you're wrestling with. Could it be that you're wrestling with God and you don't even know it? Like Jacob was wrestling with God and he doesn't even know it. Jacob wrestled all night long. Did you know a high school wrestling match is divided up into three periods, and each of those periods is two minutes each? You can have an overtime, which is like another period. That means eight minutes total. That's as long as a high school wrestling match can be. But you never wrestle for more than two minutes at a time. You know why? Have you ever wrestled for two minutes straight? Like really wrestled? It's exhausting. It's exhausting. You know, the longest wrestling match in the world, the longest wrestling match in the world, as recorded, is in 1912 Olympics. Uh, it's the semifinals, and these two guys are wrestling Martin Klein and Alfred Askenanen. And yes, that name was pronounced exactly as he would pronounce it. So, thankfully, Klein won, and I can say that name. After 11 hours and 40 minutes of wrestling. He was so exhausted at the end that they said that he was physically uh, he was physically disqualified from wrestling for the gold medal. And so he had to forfeit it, and he got the silver. Because after wrestling for 11 hours and 40 minutes, he could not recover during the Olympics in time in order to wrestle for the gold. Jacob wrestles. All night long. <sighs> he wrestles all night long and then he's given a chance. He is given a chance to tap out. The day starts breaking and the man says, 
let me go, verse 26. But Jacob, he will not give up and he won't let go. He's been wrestling all night. Why wouldn't he just give up? Verse 26. I will not let you go until you bless me. Jacob wrestles all night because he's seeking a blessing. He's been seeking that blessing his whole life. You know who else has? You and me. In a thousand different ways, to a thousand different people, to a thousand different things, we are crying out, bless me. Give me what I think I need to make my life complete, fulfilled. Give me what I think I need so that I can be enough. Bless me in a thousand different ways to a thousand different people to a thousand different things. We are crying out, bless me. And Jacob, he strives with God and he prevails. He gets the blessing. But what did it look like? And what did it take? See, we all want the blessing, but do we know what, to be, what, what it means to be blessed? Well, that brings us to the conquest. Jacob is wrestling with God all night, and he walks away with two things. And therein lies the blessing. The first thing that Jacob is given is he is given a new name. In the midst of this wrestling match, verse 27, the man asked him, what is your name? Now, if you think that's a simple question, if you think that's a simple question, you haven't thought about it long enough. You see, in the ancient world, names were extremely significant. We know the significance of names, right? It's how you're identified. It's what you're called. But, But in the ancient world, they... They attach to names someone's character and someone's vocation. See, in other words, in the ancient world, when someone asks you your name, what they're asking for is your identity. Who are you? Who are you? Who are you? It can take a long time to figure out the answer to that question. You know, the Temple of Delphi in Greece, they have inscribed, one of the maxims is, know thyself. It was considered a great and honorable and difficult task to know oneself. Knowing oneself has always been difficult. Knowing who you are has always been difficult. But I think it's actually especially difficult in our day and time. And there are two reasons for that. On the one hand, we say that authenticity is probably the highest value that is accepted. The greatest maxim, the law, the commandment that everyone uh, believes is kind of unbreakable is this. Be true to yourself. Be true to yourself. Assert your identity. Assert your identity, whoever you are, wherever you are, assert your identity. And yet, we are also told this. No one and nothing can tell you what your identity is. You have to actually create it for yourself. In other words, we are not only told to assert ourselves, we are also 
told to invent ourselves. And we are constantly inventing and reinventing ourselves over and over and over again. And when you take those two things together, be true to yourself, but we don't even know who we are. And we have to keep creating ourselves over and over again and be true to ourselves. What it is, is it's a recipe for anxiety and confusion and cognitive dissonance. And it's why, and I feel, it's why I feel for the young people today, I feel for those who are growing up in this world because it is causing a tremendous and overwhelming burden. A great amount of anxiety and depression in our world today traces back to this. Be true to yourself and create yourself. And you've got to be unique and you better be unique. And you better show everybody how unique you are. What is your name? Who are you? How did Abraham's grandson answer that question? Yaakov. Jacob. My name is Jacob. The name Jacob means trickster or deceiver, grasper, heel grabber. In, in other words, Jacob's very name was deceiver. So what this means is that Jacob has spent his whole life and who he is at the core of himself is he is one who doesn't know who he is or anyone else because he's been lying to himself and everybody else about who he is. I am Jacob. I am a deceiver. I, I have spent my whole life creating an identity for myself. I have spent my whole life faking like I was the first son, even though I was the second born son. Faking like I, I was a nomad when I wasn't. Faking like I was... His whole life, he's been creating his own identity. And he doesn't even know who he is. I don't know if you have uh, seen this show. There's this um, show on, I think it's Netflix or maybe Amazon Prime. Who knows? But it's called uh, Sneaky Pete. And it's about a con artist. And the con artist, uh, he gets in with this family of someone who was, he was in a jail cell and he had a cellmate. And he starts asking the cellmate all about his life. And he finds out that, the, you know, he knows the guy's name is Pete. And then he finds out where his, uh, his family lives. And so he just shows up uh, at the grandparents' house like years later, and he totally fakes this guy's identity. He calls himself Pete, even though that's not his name. And he plays like he is Pete. And then Pete shows up. And it's this really kind of confusing scene. And, and, and in the midst of it, some people know that he's been faking his identity. And someone calls out Pete, and both people answer. Like, he doesn't even know who he is anymore. He's been faking it for so long. That's Jacob. Can you relate to Jacob? You know, years later, the prophet Jeremiah, chapter 17, verse 9, maybe 19, verse 7, could be my dys dyslexia coming in, says the heart is deceptive above all things, and desperately sick. The heart is deceptive. The heart is Yaakov. The heart is Jacob.
the human heart is Jacob. Not only can we relate to Jacob, we are Jacob. We are all deceiving ourselves and others about who we are. We are all trying to create a name for ourselves, trying to, to build this name for ourselves. Maybe it's good mother. Maybe it's intelligent. Uh, maybe, may, maybe it's, uh, maybe it's um, reserved. Maybe it's courageous. Maybe it's strong. We are all trying desperately to create an identity for ourselves. And we don't even know who we are. What is your name? Who are you? And it's against that backdrop. The backdrop of Jacob his whole life trying to create a name for himself. It's against that backdrop that the blessing comes. And here's the blessing. Verse 28. Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. No longer Jacob, but Israel. No longer deceiver. That's not who you are. You are now going to be called Israel. I mean, could you imagine how humiliating that would be? How humbling? You know, when monks enter a monastery, and, and you, you go to enter a monastery, did you know that you're given a new name? Like you walk into the monastery as Kyle, I would, and then they would say, you are no longer Kyle, you are John. What? Like the rest of my life, I have to be called John. I've been given this new name. But you know what? There's no other way to enter the monastery. You have to humble yourself to receive the name. And you know what? There's no other way to receive the blessing. You have to humble yourself and receive the name. And what name was it that he received? Israel. Verse 28, Israel. Israel could be divided up into two, two words. Sarah, which means to strive, to wrestle, and El, God. What does Israel mean? Israel mean? Israel, the word it means wrestles with God. For you shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, no longer Jacob, for you have striven with God and with men. The name Israel means wrestles with God. The name that God gives to his people that they would be identified by throughout history is Israel. The name, the character, the mark of God's people, their vocation is wrestles with God. So can you relate to Jacob? See, we think that it's impious to talk about wrestling with God, to struggle with God. To have a defiant faith. But don't you see, that's who the people of God are. They are those who protest. They are those who cling to the promises and say, God, why aren't these coming true? They are those who say, where are you, God, and what are you doing in this world? That's why the majority of the Psalter is given for psalms of protest and lament. Because people, this is who we are. So let me ask you, can you relate to Jacob? Are you Israel? Do you wrestle with God? We are those who wrestle with God. 
and prevail. For you have striven with God and with men and prevailed. Jacob says, verse 26, I am not letting you go. I am not letting you go until you bless me. And then he gets it. Verse 28, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with man and prevailed. No longer deceiver. Your past will not mark you. Now you have been given a new name. And so have you. Beloved. Beloved child of God. Who has had an encounter with God. and Who has wrestled with God. Jacob prevailed. He came out the other side. But he did not come out unscathed. Which leads us to the second thing that Jacob got. Jacob's not only given a new, a new name, he's also given a new limp. Did you see that verse 31? When the sun rises upon him and he passes by Penuel, he is limping because of his hip. Jacob was wounded. See, we want the blessing. Do we, do we know what the blessing entails? We want an encounter with God. We want an experience with God. But do we want to be wounded by God? And where is Jacob wounded? Verse 25, he touched his hip socket. And Jacob's hip was out of joint. You know, if, you are, um, if you're weightlifting, the thing that's most important to kind of stretch out and loosen up in order to avoid injuries, if you're doing serious heavy weightlifting, it's your hip. You have to get your hips loose. And the reason is, is because your hip, that is the fulcrum of strength. That is the point of strength. And that's where Jacob was wounded. See, we think, we think that we are going to get the blessing out of a place of strength. Jacob does not receive the blessing from a place of strength, but from a place of weakness. Jacob does not acquire the blessing from strength, but weakness and even desperation. I am not going to let you go until you bless me. And before Jacob can receive the blessing, he has to receive the wounding. So here's a good question. How do you know if you've met with God? You have a limp. You've been wounded. You've been touched by him. And you didn't walk away the same. See, we all want to be blessed. But do we want to be wounded? But there's no other way. Jacob sees God's face and lives. But he lives in a new way with a new dependence and a new power. No longer out of strength, but weakness. No longer striving, but limping. No longer grasping, but blessed. And you know why I think that's important? Because Jacob's whole life, he had been after the blessing, even after he had already been blessed. You ever think about that? 
He's wrestling all night for something that he's already had. Remember, he got the blessing from his father. He got the blessing from his father, but it wasn't enough. Why? Because he took it and he didn't receive it. And in order to receive it, he had to be wounded. He had to be wounded because that's the only way that he would believe. And so he is blessed. He is given this new name. But how do you live out of the new name that you're given? How do you not live out of the old name? Well, you're given a perpetual reminder, and that reminder is a limp. Paul said, God, take this thorn in my flesh, whatever that was, away from me. He cried out to God three times, and God would not take it away. And he said, my grace is sufficient for you. And then he says this, my power is made perfect, complete, in weakness. See, the limp is the blessing. Because it's there that we live out of a place of dependence and reception, no longer grasping, no longer wrestling, and only now is he ready to face his brother Esau. Only now. So, what would this story have meant for those Israelites who received it and whose identity it was meant to form? Well, as one commentator says, I think it would mean this, that Israel was not formed by success or shrewdness or land or riches, but by an assault from God. And that assault was a grace. But it does not look like the grace we expect. But it was grace. So if you want to know, am I counted among God's people? What would it mean to be his? Well, here's what it means. It means that you wrestle with God and you prevail. It means you wrestle with God and you don't let him go until you're blessed. It means you wrestle with God and you keep on and you strive and you persevere until the end. That's what it means to be one of his. And it means that you see him and you live. No one can see God's face and live, remember? And yet Jacob sees his face. I've seen God face to face, and I was delivered. You see God's face and you live, but you live in a new way, a new power, and a new dependence. You live with a limp. And when you see God, what does God look like? You know, Jacob asked the man, tell me your name. The man did not tell him his name. He would not tell him his name. We read, but he said, why is it that you asked my name? And what follows that immediately? And there he blessed him. Because that is his name. I will be Yahweh. That's what it means. I will be. I will be faithful to my promise. I will be faithful to my covenant. I will be faithful and I will bless you and I will keep you and I will make my face shine upon you because that is who I am. That is my name. That is my vocation. To be faithful to my covenant and to my people. 
Tell me your name. And he blessed him. This is who God is. And how did he bless him? If Israel means that you have striven with God and prevailed, then what does it mean to be God? God is one who blesses by letting humans prevail over him. God is one who blesses by letting humans prevail over him. And that's how he shows his strength. And so if you want to know who God is, if you want to see God, you need to go to a hill outside Jerusalem on 15 Nisau, April 3rd, 33 AD. And there you will see the one who spoke the word into existence cry out in agony. And there you will see the one whose hands spanned and measured the galaxies pinned to a tree. And there you will see the one who out of a heart of love created all things and pursued his people from time and eternity. There you will see his heart rent. And there you will see a God who shows his strength, who blesses by in his foolishness or the foolishness of the cross and the message priest, which is wisdom to him, letting humans, the hands of sinful men prevail over him. And he blessed us. Amen.